uh, about being a diverse church. And we are a month late. So I launched this series a month ago, and then things got a little bit crazy for our family. And so most of you know, we were back and forth to New Brunswick a few times. Vicky's sister passed away, and so we were uh, a lot of travel. And again, I was so grateful for the team and the way people stepped up and just um, there was people preaching and people leading and making sure things went on. And so that was really great. Um, so I opened the series about being a diverse church, but then never got to follow up. And so I've got four uh, messages about being a diverse church. And I just want to remind you of something. So a month ago, when we first started talking about being a diverse church, we looked into John chapter 17. And if you're not super familiar with Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, I would highly encourage you to go and not just read that prayer, but pray along with Jesus what he prayed for us. Okay, so really powerful prayer. Um, But what we talked about a month ago was how Jesus actually prayed that you and I would experience the same unity that God experiences within himself, within the Trinity. Okay, so a uh, little familiarity in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is three, but he's one, okay? And it's mind-blowing, you'll never understand it fully, you'll never fully grasp it. If you meet somebody who tells you they do understand it, just nod and smile and just know, like, there's no way, okay, that <laughs> you fully grasp. But God is three, he's one. And Jesus, in this prayer, he prayed that you and I would experience the same unity that he experiences within himself. Okay, and, and the scriptures make it clear that people are really different. Okay, one of the things we looked at when we, when we looked into that, that sermon was God's words to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. God told Abraham, and this is like the beginning stages of what would, once, what would one day become Christianity. He said, like, my vision for you, God's vision for, the, for his people was that they would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. All the nations of the earth. Okay, and then we get to the New Testament. Jesus, he prays that all of his future followers would be deeply united. Okay, and then we looked at Revelation where it talks about people from every nation and people that are very different. And and there's four categories, and this should be up uh, on the the slide behind me. So we're going to look at generational diversity, which is young and old. That's what we're talking about today. Okay, and the question is, why are you so old? (laughs) That's not actually the title of the sermon. It's just a really fitting clip. Um, So generational diversity, ethnic diversity, and so usually these are things that divide us, okay? If you look at the way that uh, things are happening in our world right now, there's lots of division over different age categories, generational diversity. There's division over race, ethnicity. Have you seen that? Have you seen the division that exists in our world over ethnicity and race? Socioeconomic diversity, so rich and poor, and then ideological diversity diversity, people who believe different things or have different worldviews. So Jesus, and this is what we're going to be looking at, Jesus actually prayed that people that are different on all of those different categories would experience the same kind of unity God experiences within himself. And as I was getting ready to, to preach this series, I realized, like, this is not my vision for Transformation Church. It's Jesus' vision for his church. And so it was, a, it was a big realization for me. As a pastor, I, I get excited about where we're headed. I get excited about what God is doing in our midst. It's, it's exciting to think about, hey, Lord, what do you want us to do with you know, our uh, group of people? How do you want us to have an impact on our city? 
right? It's exciting to think about that. But as I was getting ready to preach this, this series, I realized, like, this is actually the Jesus' vision for his big church, like church all over the world. It's, it's unity amid diversity. And I, and I believe it takes a, a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, before we look into generational diversity and, and young and old today, um, I will say this. If you're tuning in uh, or if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, first off, you are welcome to be here. And, and I, I actually like talking about the scriptures in a way that somebody who maybe has questions or they're a skeptic or they don't know who God is would, would be interested to lean in. And so today's sermon isn't specific to do with struggles or questions or doubts. And so um, you might not connect with it that way. What I hope is if you're somebody today and you're not sure where you stand with, with Jesus or what you believe about him, that you're going to see a, a little bit of a picture of what God's desire for his church is and that you'd be drawn to it. That's one of my favorite things about Jesus' ministry is that there was this invitation to just come and experience him. And so my hope today as we look into this is that you would have a little bit of a picture of what Jesus' vision for his little, his, well, it's going to be big, his group of people are, the Jesus followers, the Jesus community, his church. And so uh, we're looking at um, generational diversity today. And in the, in the weeks to come, we'll look at the other uh, diversities, ethnic and sociological and ideological. And I want to read to you, and this, you've probably seen this before. I know I've read it before. It's a famous quote by Socrates, or at least it's attributed to Socrates. And so Socrates is a famous philosopher from like 400 years before Jesus, okay? So we're talking like 2,500 years ago. And uh, just listen to this, this quote and see if it's something that you've heard people say similar things uh, today. It says, children, so he's an older man at this point, okay? He says, children, they have bad manners, contempt for authority, They show disrespect for elders, and they love chatter in place of exercise. They just talk endlessly. Uh, They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, and they tyrannize their teachers. Children are now tyrants. This was literally 2,500 years ago (laughs) that this was said. Every generation has some version of this, and there's things in here like, and you can hear just the, the, uh, the sentiment of, oh, like, Kids aren't like the way they used to be. When I was a kid, we were very respectful. Now they're not very respectful, right? Like you can hear that, and we've heard that today, right? So when old, the older generation talks about the younger generation, usually there's concern. It's like, oh, the younger generation, they're going off the rails. They're just a bunch of psychos. <laughs> like they're crazy, they're what, right? And, and that thinking has been going on for 2,500 years, right? This, this generational divide that we see uh, is not anything new. It's something that exists now, but it's always been the case. And so today, we're going to look at um, a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and, and I just want to frame this for you. So this is what, and this will all be in the passage, but I just want you to imagine that we're building a really simple house. Okay, so a simple house would have, and I'm not a, an engineer, okay, or, or an architect, so you could probably like shred this if you've got... Uh, Um, like training on how to actually build a right structure, but very simple. If you're building a house, there's a foundation, there's walls, and there's a roof, right? We agree? We're all on the same page. We have to agree on this one point, okay? You can disagree with other things that I'm going to say, but you've got to follow this, okay? This will be up. You can put the slide up. So there's, uh, there's a foundation, there's walls, and there's a roof. That's how you simply, in a simple term, make a structure. And today, uh, if we're going to actually experience 
unity amongst young and old, this is the little house structure I'm going to use to, to talk about it, okay? Um, the foundation is that we share a common faith, and I'll explain that. The second is that it's really important, and Paul talks about this in the passage we're going to read, that we're not embarrassed of each other. Have, have you ever, okay, as an older person, uh, have you ever been embarrassed of your children or somebody younger than you that you were with? No? Some people are, yeah? Okay. If you're a younger person, imagine, or back, think back to when you were a younger person. Were you ever embarrassed by, like, your parents or the older generation? Ever? Yeah? You ever been embarrassed by the person sitting beside you? Maybe not. <laughs> we have a mother and daughter over here, so. <laughs> right? So we're going to talk about that. Paul actually addresses that, how important it is. And then the, the roof, um, it's so vital. Paul talks about this, that we hold on to what was passed down to us. And so uh, older generations have something to pass on, and it's important that, that we hold on to that. And that's kind of what we're going we're gonna to look at today. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy. This is like the Apostle Paul. Um, this is probably one of his last letters. And he was writing to his protege, to his disciple. Okay, so Paul, this is later in his ministry. He's an older man at this point. And Timothy, he's a young pastor. And Paul realizes Timothy's going to actually carry the torch. I'm going to die soon. Timothy's going to carry it on. It's interesting. If you like to study theology at all, um, or you're a bit of a scholar and you like doing a bit of digging into the scriptures, early in Paul's ministry, uh, I believe Paul believed he would see the return of Christ in his lifetime. Most scholars believe that Paul actually believed that. There's some things that Paul said, like he expected he would see the return of Jesus in his lifetime. This letter in 2 Timothy, this is one of his last letters, and he's writing to his young disciple, and he has come to the realization, I'm, I'm probably going to die before Jesus comes back. So his tone has shifted a little bit, and he's telling Timothy, like, here's how you carry on the ministry that God has called, that he's entrusted us with. So, so that's really neat. And so he's, he's really wanting to see the gospel of Jesus go forward into all the world. Paul was one of the first people that went beyond the Jewish people to tell the gospel story, the message of Jesus, to the, to the world outside of Judaism. Um, so in a sense, we're all, we've all been impacted, uh, unless you're Jewish here today, we've, most of us have been impacted by the ministry of Paul that was like, this message is actually for the whole world. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for people that, you know, grew up reading the Old Testament scriptures. This is for every single person alive. We're, we're, we've been impacted by that. And so he's telling Timothy some things that he thinks are really important in order for Timothy to carry the message forward. And so before I read, um, I'm just going to pray. And, and my desire, like when I think about Transformation Church, uh, I, my desire is that we would experience the kind of unity Jesus prayed for in John 17. That even amongst old and young, there'd be a unity the way Jesus prayed for, the way Paul encourages. We can look around and see all kinds of examples where there's disunity amongst generations, where people are embarrassed of each other, or people don't want to be associated with someone based on generational differences or age differences. Uh, and in the church of Jesus, I really believe God's called us to lead the way in unity, being united with each other. So let's pray, and I'm going to read what Paul has to say uh, to, to Timothy, and then God is speaking to us um, in this passage. So let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. 
And Lord, just even as we look into your word today, I pray that we would have a real sense of, of you. We know that your presence is here with us now. You've created us for community, for connection, for relationship. But there's all these, these, these things that come in the way of connection and relationship. We, we get jealous of each other, angry at each other, we, we, we judge one another, we don't want to associate for whatever reason. And I just pray that you'd break uh, those barriers down. Even as we look into your word today, you'd give us an appreciation for you, but also for those you've put us in community with, young and old alike. And I pray, Lord, that as a, as a church and as a community, that we would actually uh, be an example of what it looks like to, to connect across generational lines, Lord. Um, and the kind of unity you prayed for, Jesus, in John 17, we just, as a church, we say amen. We want to experience the kind of unity that you prayed we would experience. And we know that that can only happen when you miraculously do that in our hearts and in our midst. And we welcome you, Lord, uh, to be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 14. And all of those three things I'm going to focus on, you'll see this in, uh, in this passage of Scripture. This is Paul uh, writing to Timothy. It says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first called your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now, and now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know, that the, I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And so the foundation, one of the first things uh, that is really important if we're going to experience unity amongst generational diversity is that we realize that we, we share a common faith that connects us for eternity. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've encountered him, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you share a common faith with those younger than you or with those older than you that actually connects you for eternity. So it's easy to be judgmental of people that are in a different age category or are generationally different from you, but we have to realize that when we spend eternity with God in heaven 
there will be no divisions based on generational differences. So the faith that we share connects us for eternity. In, in uh, verse 5 of what we just read, this will be on the screen, he says, Paul says to Timothy, he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. So that faith is something that we share, and it connects, it connects us for all eternity. And so you think about, in, in, in recent years, we have become obsessed with generational differences. How, how many of you ever read an article or listen to somebody talk, and they talk about the differences between baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Z. Anybody? Anybody ever, like, heard about all that? And it's interesting, right? Like, the baby boomers went through a different life experience than the millennials, than the Gen Xers, than the Gen Z. I think when I was opening this uh, series, Esther, I talked about Esther, how she was like, she's convinced Gen Z is the best generation, right? <laughs> and, and most of us that are from a particular generation... There's things about that generation that, that we identify with. And that's not a bad thing, to identify with certain things about our generation. But a lot of times, the differences in generations actually cause division. So if you're uh, a millennial, okay, and that'd be the age category that I'm in, although Hannah and Tyler, they used to tell me, like, you, you wish, you're actually a Gen Xer. You're a little bit older than most millennials because they're millennials, right? So even within the generation, there was that, like, uh, you know, rivalry or whatever, right? And we like to joke around about that. It's fun. But as a millennial, like, there's, I would have different experiences than people that are from older generations, the baby boomers or the silent generation, if you go beyond that. And, and I've watched in church, and this grieves my heart, divisions happen over the differences that generations experience. There are things, there are even sometimes ideals, things that are important to a generation that may not be recognized to another generation. And when you get uh, people from different generations in the same room making decisions, specifically when it relates to church, there's divisions that happen that actually grieve the heart of God. And so the point I'm making, the foundation that, we're, we're, that I'm emphasizing in this is that we share a common faith with each other that connects us for all eternity. Like we're deeply connected for all eternity. And so, so most of you that have been around for quite a while know a little bit of the story of Transformation Church that when we moved to Thunder Bay, um, it was Hannah Tyler and I and Vicki and Jeremy was here and we had a couple other people. We had big visions to plant this church uh, and we started connecting with Gene and Terry and the group from Faith Chapel, a lot of whom are here. And I'm going to really shorten the story. The, the, the short version of that is three weeks before we launched, Faith Chapel uh, decided that they felt God calling them to join Transformation Church. So they had a building on the other side of town. It was in Port Arthur. Um, and they had been a church for 30 plus years, something like that, more. Um, Gene had been a pastor there for 20 or so years. They approached us, and our team was younger. Most of their uh, people were, I have to be so careful with this, <laughs> a little more advanced in age. Aileen <laughs> says it's okay. <laughs> right? So there was this interesting thing happening where these two generational um, groups were coming together. But I remember the conversation when Gene approached our team and said, we really sense God calling us to join you. We don't know what it's going to look like. 
at this point, but we just sense God calling us to do it. And our team, we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we said, we really sense peace about this, like God wants us to do it. And so three weeks before the launch, we, we joined. And, and what was really cool, we were, at the time, we were actually praying for chairs. We didn't even have, like, chairs. We had a bunch of really jank, horrible, terrible chairs. And uh, my, one of my bosses in southern Ontario, we, like, we had reached out to him. We said, we need God to do a miracle. Um, and so it was really cool to call him and say, God actually gave us chairs and some people to fill it. Like, these chairs came from Faith Chapel that you're sitting in right now. Um, they're super nice. They're comfortable, a lot better than what we would have been using. Um, that was a really cool answer to prayer. But I will tell you this. It's actually been really challenging in some ways for us to connect. Like, if you, were, if you had a, an opportunity to sit down with our leadership team and ask us questions about some of the decisions that we made uh, as, a, as a church in these last four and a half years, there's been some real challenges. And some of those challenges came from the fact that we're from different generations trying to work together in unity. It's been really difficult. It's been really challenging. It's been really humbling for me. Gene has been a pastor for a lot longer than I've been a pastor. And when they said they sensed God calling them to come, Gene said, Nathan, I really believe you're called to be the lead pastor. And I'll just, like, I just feel called to serve. And even if it's not an official pastoral way, like, I'll just serve. That was like a really humbling thing for me as a, being a younger pastor, having somebody that's got as much experience as Gene, and, and they're coming in, and they're just connecting with us. And it was interesting, because when we told the story a few times, like at our district conference, uh, people were just like, man, this is kind of unheard of. Like, this kind of thing does not happen very often, where you see two churches coming together like that, especially where there's such a generational divide. That, that kind of thing usually causes lots of division. And, I'll, and I will say, it could have done the same in our, in our church um, if, if we hadn't have been listening to the leading of the Lord, if we hadn't been willing to have really difficult and challenging conversations, you know. Um, and just full disclosure, I believe I've, as a leader, made decisions that probably weren't the best decision to make. And as a team, we had to wrestle through how to move forward in a way where we were still united. But this... But what Paul is talking about here is really personal to me, and I had other examples, but I really wanted to use that one because it relates to right now. It relates to what, what you experience here in our church is a result of the truth and reality of what Paul talks about here actually happening. And I will stand by it. There's this, uh, I almost have a, a fear of, of discounting an older generation because I realize, like, God has done something significant in people that are older, that have more experience. And it is going to be challenging to work together. It is going to be challenging to, to stay united, to stay connected. But there's, we're going to be connected for all eternity. And if, if we develop this attitude in our hearts of, like, well, there's something wrong with that generation or they, they don't get things right, we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven. I think God will have to take some people aside and say, listen, there's some people here that you really didn't want here. <laughs> like... You divided with some of these people on earth, and I actually really love them. And so be warned, they're here, and you're going to be worshiping with them for all eternity. It's too bad you couldn't work things out when you had the chance, you know what I mean? Like, and so it's so important, and Paul talks about it here, and, and that first part of the house, the foundation, is that it's important for you to remember, like, what we share with each other connects us for eternity. We're connected for eternity. If you meet somebody else, that has a, a love for Jesus and they're different than you based on the generation they're from, like as much as is possible, look for ways to be connected and united. Look for ways to, uh, to unite in your pursuit of Jesus. It is vital. It's really important. The second one 
uh, is don't be ashamed of each other. Don't be embarrassed. So uh, I wanted to state this in the positive, but in the scripture, Paul actually states it in the negative. So verse 8, this will be on the screen. He says, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer for me for the sake of the good news. So uh, we're connected for eternity. What we share, this faith connects us for eternity. The second thing, if we're going to be united across generations, it's important to not be embarrassed of each other. It's important for us not to be... And, and what Paul is talking about here, so in Paul's context, he's talking to Timothy. Paul spent a lot of time in prison. So Paul had planted a lot of churches, and because of the gospel, because of the way he was living for Jesus, he was arrested and spent a lot of time in prison. And there were a lot of his churches that were embarrassed of Paul. Because Timothy spent a lot of time pastoring in a place called Ephesus. There was a lot of success there, that things were growing, there was money coming in. And it was kind of embarrassing that his leader was in prison while they were experiencing success and, you know, prosperity. And and it would have been tempting for Timothy to just kind of discount Paul and be like, well, maybe he's being judged by God. And Paul, like he says to Timothy, like, don't be embarrassed of me. Don't be embarrassed of these chains. These chains, I'm in them because of the gospel. And it would have been easy for Timothy to discount Paul and, and like, well, he must have done something wrong or he doesn't have God's favor. That's why he's in prison and try to like whatever, kind of ignore him. It would have been easy for Paul to criticize Timothy and say, well, if Timothy was really living for Jesus, if he was really preaching the truth, he'd be in jail just like me. Isn't it easy to judge people? Like when you're experiencing something, so if you're experiencing persecution or you're experiencing being made fun of for your faith or whatever, it's easy to criticize people that are not and to make judgments and say, well, it must be because they're not serious enough about the gospel. And specifically to do with generations, it's actually easy to be embarrassed by different generations. You know, I asked the question at the beginning, were you, have you ever been embarrassed by somebody from a different generation? Paul, in the scriptures, and I, this is God's word to us, this is the Lord speaking to us today, saying, don't be embarrassed of each other. You know, this last couple years of COVID and all the ways different churches have responded have been really challenging. There's legitimate, authentic, Jesus-following Christians that probably have behaved in ways that maybe you're tempted to be embarrassed by. Maybe, maybe you look at some of the things that are going on and some of, some of the responses that certain churches have made and you've just gone like, yeah, well, they're, I mean, they're a part of a different generation. They're sort of old school. I wouldn't do that. We, we have to, as the church of Jesus, if we're going to like embrace what the scriptures teach us here, we've got to learn to love each other while we disagree. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to say, like, oh, it's not how I would do it. But we have to be careful. We don't give in to being embarrassed of someone else who's an authentic Jesus follower. A, a very real story that um, this became clear to me, when I was leading a, a youth mission, um, I was a lot younger at that time. Like I was in my early 20s leading a youth mission. We had a big team and we were traveling around doing a lot of outreach and evangelism. And we had one of the main leaders that joined our group. He was in his mid-60s at the time. And I'll never forget his testimony because he got up in front of the church one time. And, uh, and this is 15, 16 years ago. And he got up in front of this church and he was sharing about why he, this 65-year-old, was traveling around with a group of teenagers and young adults. And, and he was telling them, he said, you know, when I first encountered this group that were going around and doing evangelism and outreach, he's like, I don't know if he used the word embarrassed, but he described being embarrassed. He's like, 
like they had these like super baggy pants and their hair was long and they listened to music. I didn't understand any of the words. Like it was just like not attractive to me at all. And he said he was ready to just kind of throw it out and say like, I'm not going to be a part of that. But he heard God speak to him. And he said he heard the Lord say, and his name was Wilbur. He said he heard the Lord say, Wilbur, like these, these young people, they love me. And if you want to be a part of going out and sharing my love, like this is the opportunity I'm putting in front of you. So he embraced it. And he traveled for like eight, nine years with our group, traveling around the maritime provinces, sharing the gospel with a group of people that oftentimes I think he was embarrassed by. And if, and if I'm being honest, and let's just be honest and vulnerable today, there were times that Wilbur would get up and say things that I was tempted to be embarrassed by. And it had to do with generational differences. It had to do with the fact that we thought differently, we had had different experiences, we had different convictions based on our age, based on our upbringing, based on all that stuff. There was times where we were tempted to be embarrassed. Paul's not messing around in this, in this passage when he says to Timothy, like, don't, don't be embarrassed of me, because that is something that happens, and that's one of the things that causes division, is we get embarrassed of someone else, and so we discount them, and we don't want anything to do with them. But if we're actually going to be the church, like, Jesus desires that we would be a church that experiences the exact same kind of unity that God experiences within himself, within the Trinity. So there will be times where you'll experience maybe that embarrassment, or you'll want to be disconnected, and it's, it's okay to call each other out. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to have debates, but we can't let it be something that causes a divide because we're connected for all eternity. So there has to be a way to work through it. And so what I'm not advocating, I don't want to be idealistic today and say like, just kind of sweep all the issues under the rug. Like, like if you're going to continue to move forward in a way that you truly do honor Jesus and love others, you're going to face challenges and difficulties and have tough conversations. And maybe you'll have to admit that you feel embarrassed by the older or younger generation or whatever it is. But if we realize that what the gospel teaches us is true, that Jesus desires that we would be a church that is so united that we actually look like the Trinity, then we're going to be united. Like, we're going to be united so much so that the, the division amongst generations is non-existent because we're one. And, and it always concerns me when, when I go into a church and it's all young people or all old people. I'm like, I'm really concerned because I'm like, what's going on in that church that like the focus is all on one generation? Because if the gospel is being preached, let's face it, when Jesus is being elevated, when we talk about what Jesus Christ did for us, it impacts every generation. It doesn't matter if you were born 2,000 years ago, right? Like back in Socrates' day, they, they, like the, the message of truth would have been impactful to all generations. When something is true, it's impactful to everyone. So if you go into a church and it's all one generation or all one type of people, it should be a red flag. Because the gospel has a way of drawing people in that are very diverse and very different. We're not united based on our generational um, uniqueness. We're united based on our faith in Jesus Christ in the fact that we've surrendered our lives to Jesus and we, we submit to the truth that he's revealed to us in his word. Like that's what, that's what unites us. The last thing, the roof. Okay, so we've done the foundation. We're connected for eternity. Uh, we've done the walls, not being ashamed of each other. And the roof is, is this... Uh, uh, this admonishment, this kind of command from Paul to hold on to what was passed on to you. So Paul says in, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love you have in Christ Jesus. So hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. And you'll notice when, when we read through this passage, uh, Paul talked about Timothy 
his mother and his grandmother. He said, the faith that you have actually comes from this line of, of women before you that held on to their faith, and, and that, uh, that faith is what you're holding on to. It's been passed down to you from the older generations. And I want to give a, uh, a scriptural example of, of something that, that happened in scripture that really illustrates this point well. So it is easy for younger generations to discount the older generation and to miss out on the vital truth that God wants us to hold on to, that God has given us wisdom. And, he, and he, the way he passes it down, a lot of times, like, the scripture is really important, but a lot of times it's through people. It's through people that have experienced him and that have walked with him before us. There's a story in the Old Testament. I don't know if you remember a name. There was a king. He's one of the youngest kings in Israel. He became king at the age of seven. His name was Joash. Anybody ever heard of Joash? Yeah? Okay, so Joash... Uh, running a kingdom is not something that comes naturally to a seven-year-old, okay? I just want you to imagine, like, a seven-year-old. So Lucy's eight, so imagine if Lucy was running Canada. She would probably need some help, right? <laughs> I mean, Lucy's pretty brilliant. Maybe she'd do a really good job without any help at all. Most seven, eight-year-olds would need a ton of help, okay? So Joash became king, and so it was because of death in the family, and you have to get into the whole history of it. But uh, the short version of it is Joash becomes king at seven years old, and there was a priest at the time who became Joash's mentor. His name was Jehoiada, okay? So Jehoiada becomes the mentor of Joash. And for as long as Jehoiada is alive, things run quite well. Jehoiada helps Joash make decisions that mean Israel will continue to honor God. So Israel runs in a really great way for as long as Jehoiada is alive. So I'm going to read uh, a couple verses from 2 Chronicles, and then I'm going to skip ahead. I'm just going to read a couple verses, just give you a picture of what's going on here. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 and 2 says, Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. His mother was Zibiah, Zibiah, from Beersheba. Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight through the lifetime of Jehoiada, the priest. Okay, so you catch that? So Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight through the lifetime of Jehoiada, the priest. Now, I'm going to skip down uh, to near the end of the chapter, verses 17 and 18, it says, and this should be on the screen, but after Jehoiada's death, so Jehoiada's the priest, he's the mentor, he's the one that would, has been guiding Joash for years and years, the leaders of Ju- Judah came and they bowed down before King Joash and they persuaded him to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshiped Asherah poles and idols instead. Because of, the sin, because of this sin, divine anger fell on Judah and Jerusalem. And so, this story is so important from the Old Testament. So we have this example of Joash. He's got this older, wise leader that's been giving him counsel. And for as long as Jehoiada is alive, things are great in Israel. But Jehoiada dies. And I'm sure that there was a lot of times where Joash was embarrassed of his older leader, was tempted to be like, well, he doesn't really understand where Israel's going. He's, he's kind of old. He's like a dinosaur. Things are different. The desires of the people are new. The desires of the people have changed. And, and so I'm sure he wrestled with that while Jehoiada was alive. But out of respect, he did what Jehoiada said. So Jehoiada dies, and then a bunch of leaders come to Joash, and they present to him a new plan for Israel. They're like, hey, there's some new things we can get into. There's these new gods we can worship. We could be kind of like the other nations around us. We could be a little more hip. We could be cooler. We can kind of, you know, loosen up a little bit. We don't have to be so rigid. We don't have to be so tight. And Joash is like, yeah, that sounds really good. So he gives into that thinking. And if you, if you read the rest of the story, it's actually really sad what happens in Israel. And the principle, and Paul leans into this, is he's saying, like, 
remember that there's things that God has taught you and passed on to you from the older generation that are actually truths from God. And sometimes it's easy for us to get hung up on the generational differences or, or even just we look at the way things are going in the world and we think, well, I, I kind of understand where things are. Things are different. Things are new. Things aren't like the way they were. And there is truth to some of that thinking. Things change. We're facing things today that haven't been faced before. But I'm convinced that God has given us wisdom amongst each other so that we can confer with each other, we can seek the Lord together, and we can learn wisdom from each other. And so the roof of this little diagram is that it's, it's vital, it's important that um, we hold on to what was passed down to us. It's, it's vital. As someone who's a, a follower of Jesus that comes from the younger generation, like I, I'll just say, and, and it's getting to the point where I won't be able to say that for much longer, right? Because there's another generation coming up that's like, you're old, right? <laughs> like I have six kids. Uh, in a few years, some of them will be moving out. Some of them will be getting jobs. Like I'm not going to be seen as like part of the younger generation for much longer. And may, maybe not even... Uh, Maybe not as long as I'd hope, right? Uh, but as, as somebody who, who I know God called me into ministry while I was a part of the younger generation, there was this conviction that developed in my heart early on that I realized there's wisdom that people that are older than me have that God wants to pass on to me. And my arrogance could mean that I miss it, my, my pride, if I listen too closely to the people around me that are saying some of the things I want to hear, like I could miss out on what God wants to speak to me. And again, I just want to reiterate this. I don't want to paint an idealistic picture today. If we're going to experience the kind of unity I'm talking about, we are going to make decisions and disagree with each other. We're going to have debate. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to wrestle through. But if we're actually being the church that, that Jesus has called us to be, then we'll have representation of, of young and old, and we will experience the kind of unity Jesus prayed for. That that. That's my prayer. That's what I believe the desire that God has for us. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the worship team to come up. Uh, and I just want to, I think that, yeah, that diagram's still up there. Just as, as you think and as you process uh, and as you pray for us as a church, I would just encourage, encourage us to pray in line with what the scriptures reveal about the kind of unity that we are to experience. And maybe for you personally in your life, maybe, maybe as you're listening to this, you're convicted and you're reminded of maybe some times where you've been embarrassed and you've let that get in the way of an authentic relationship. Or maybe, maybe there's been some times where some pride and arrogance has caused you to separate from somebody that's from a different generation. Maybe, maybe some of that has surfaced in your heart. <laughs> I'm not saying that the way forward is just easy and that there's a one-size-fits-all answer to how this works. What I am saying is that Paul here in the Scriptures and then Jesus' prayer in John 17, the Scriptures reveal to us that we, if we're truly a community of Jesus' followers, if we truly are a church that Jesus would say, those are my followers, then we'll have representation of, of young and old and there will be unity. We will learn from each other. God will speak to us through each other. We'll move forward arm in arm, and we'll see God do incredible things in our community, but also, I believe, in our city as a result. God has called us to be a family. He's called us to be united. And, and to move forward, we have to lean into 
the power of the Holy Spirit, God at work among us. Let me pray. And just, uh, and again, as, as we worship, maybe, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. I hope that this painted a little bit of a picture of this really strange, bizarre community that God wants us to be. <laughs> like, like maybe you're a little bit standoffish of the church or what Jesus is, but maybe I hope today that you saw a bit of a picture of, of God's desire for what his family looks like. He doesn't have this like one size fits all. It's not one type of person. God has a desire to call all to him that would receive him. If, if you're challenged at all today, if your heart is open at all to Jesus, embrace him. Don't let the thought in your mind, well, I'm different. I'm not like them. I'm whatever. Like the, the picture that gets painted in scripture about the family of God is that it's a really strange, bizarre looking group of people. A group of people that if it weren't for Jesus, they would not be connected. <laughs> but because of Jesus, there is a deep, eternal connection. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. And I thank you for the challenge that your word is to us. And Lord, we even here in our, our, our community, in our church, we've experienced um, disunity. We've experienced some of the things that, that we talked about today, the, the, the temptation to be embarrassed of each other, or the temptation to disconnect over generational differences or, or, or whatever the case may be. But Lord, I just pray that all of us would just have a sense of you. Jesus, you prayed in John 17 that we would experience the same kind of unity you experienced with the Father. Lord, Lord, that is impossible unless a work of your Holy Spirit happens in our midst. And so we just welcome you. We ask that you would speak. We ask that you would lead, that you would guide. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless the younger generation and, and the older generation and the ones in the middle to be able to connect in a way that, that is healthy and that is God-honoring. Lord, we welcome you to lead us and guide us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And why don't you stand and we'll, we'll close with our uh, couple songs. This next song that we're going to sing.